How you doing? It's great to see you. I'm going to share with you a story that's not really a story, it's a life uh, that I have lived in the last seven months. Uh, a lot of new faces here and a lot of old friends. Could I just ask who has never met me before? Put your hand up. Wow. That's amazing. Who have I met before? There's a few of you left. Hello. <laughs> uh, where do I start? Um, this is a photo of my wife, myself, and my two eldest grandchildren. Uh, this was taken at oh, probably around 2000 and end of 2018, beginning of 2019, at the end of 2018. And we came over here in 2019. And at the end of 2019, um, we were, I got a phone call, at, sorry, at the beginning of 2020. End of 2019, Pastor Ashley asked me to take on a campus. I was looking, I look after all the operations of finances in Australia, an executive pastor of Australia. That's how I work with Pastor Ashley on the board, et cetera, of Global and all the things that we do and those things that you're really not interested, but you need to be, it's good for you. Anyway. Um, all that stuff, right? Um, and went home from here. And in 2020, January 2020, um, I got a phone call. My wife was just feeling a little bit down. She was at a park with our grandchildren and myself, and she just rolled over onto her stomach. And she couldn't actually be on the stomach for six months because she had a knee reconstruction. So she had to lay on the back, uh, a new knee put in. And so she had to lay on the back. And so the first time we were at the park, and she laid over on her stomach and she felt a lump. In her, in her stomach. She got some tests and the doctor rang me, didn't ring her, and basically said to me, Steve, uh, we think Sue has ovarian cancer. Um, later tests proved that she did. And for you ladies that understand this far more than us men did, because I had no idea really what it was, only to find out that one of the cysts in, in her abdomen was 15 centimetres by 10. It was like the size of a football in there, which she didn't even know was there until she rolled over it. That's why it's called a, a silent killer. And um, from January through to, to the end of April, she, she had a whole lot of uh, chemotherapy and all sorts of things to help her. And then in May, she went into an, in for an operation, which they call a debulking operation. They opened up and try and take as much out of the cancer as they could. And our prayer was they would get everything but when they opened Sue up, she had a lot of cancer elsewhere and in her omentum and all sorts of things. Um, and they took most of her omentum out. There was also, but there was, they couldn't get everything. Um, she ended up having a, a uh, something in the side uh, that went into a lung that was draining her lung every two days. She had, she had sort of stuff there. And basically from May uh, all the way through, there was con continued had cancer concoctions and all sorts of things happened. She was in and out of hospital. And, um, and, and all of this time, I need to tell you, our hope was in God. We were, we were praying and believing that God was going to do something powerful in Sue's life. Sue wasn't ready to die. She said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to. Um, she, had a, she has a great relationship with Jesus. And for those who knew, knew her, she was a strong lady, uh, full of faith. And um, she, she was a lady that trusted God. We, we started the night we found out she had, 
she had ovarian cancer, we started communion. We had communion every night for 18 months. And let me tell you, it's the great resetter of all time. When you've gone through, when you go through all sorts of things from doctors saying different things and not saying different things and, and seeing tests that aren't coming back the way you thought they should and go through, we, had, we literally had communion every night because our head was filled with all the noise of what could be and we just needed to reset at the foot of the cross and thank Jesus for what he'd done for us and bring everything back to the place of our salvation because that was what was being threatened. Is our belief. And so we had communion for every night. Even when she was in hospital, I would zoom in and we'd have communion together. So June this year, long story short, June this year, she lost the battle and she went to be with Jesus. It was devastating. It was difficult. And it was something I would never want anyone to go through. So I'm gonna share with you this morning the things I've learnt. It's only seven months ago. The things I've learnt about God in this time that hopefully will help you in your understanding of who Jesus is and what the cross has done for you. To add to that story, my daughter Grace flew down. She's my middle daughter. She was pregnant with her second child. She flew down to be with us, as you would, and. Um, we were with Sue in the last, last time together and the funeral happens, an incredible funeral, an amazing funeral. I'm still getting texts from people saying how amazing it was. Some people said it's the best worship they've ever been in their life in, because of the presence of God. Um, anyway, four days after we had said goodbye to Sue, my daughter started bleeding. She had a major hemorrhage to the point where she passed out. She was 20 weeks pregnant and had to get taken to hospital with the threat of losing her 20-week-old baby, which was hard enough saying goodbye to Sue, now a, an unborn child losing that, which was devastating. I got a little bit angry with God, to be honest. Um, so she was hospitalised. She had four, four uh, blood transfusions. Um, and the doctor came into her one day, it was a lady doctor, came into her and said, um, I'm giving you 48 hours to, to determine whether you're going to keep the baby or not. She, the baby was deemed not viable yet because it wasn't 23 weeks old. It was 20 weeks old. Um, and so you're at risk. Your baby's fine, by the way. The baby was good. There was no problem with the baby. But she was, Grace was at risk. And we said, we're going to give you 48 hours to choose whether you're going to uh, terminate the baby or keep it. Um, but... And this was a, but by the way, we're not going to give you any more blood transfusions because there's other people who need it more important than you. So what she was really trying to say is, I'm forcing your hand to have the abortion. No one was fighting for the child, except for the mum. So as you imagine, Grace had buried her mum four days, four days previously and with the next ensuing week, she gets told this news. And so I felt a little bit like Job. I said, I've only got another two daughters left, God. We need to keep this going. This is not good enough, right? And so, um, of course, she didn't have the abortion. And our little Olive Sue Grace was born at 26 weeks gestation. Here she is here. If you look at the picture that's closest to me here, you'll see there's a ring on her arm. 
That is the wedding ring of a dad to show you how small she was that went right up on her arm. She was born at 26 weeks and there was a lot of things that happened as a result of her being born um, and there was a fight on for her life. I tell you all that not to, to, to create a morbid moment, but a real moment because this is real life. People go through this and I did and I've walked through this. And my encouragement to you today is, is that I don't necessarily have all the answers of why this happened. I wish I did. And I'm not bringing any, any answers to that question. But I am going to say this. In all of this, I've realised the goodness of God in a way that I've never, ever sensed before. And I've seen his character become so true in a way that has held our family in this situation, there could have been casualties to the kingdom. My three daughters still following Jesus. My middle daughter, that baby that was born, she's a pastor's wife. They're in ministry. My elder, my two other daughters are serving Jesus. There's been no casualties to the kingdom because of the grace of God that has held us. So where that scripture says His grace is sufficient, let me tell you it is in every situation. There's a few things I have experienced that have been not so bad. I can turn the TV on as loud as I like in the bedroom now. I can leave my clothes on the floor. I have no one telling me off. I can pack the dishwasher the way I want to. Instead of have to repack it three times. They're fun trade-offs. I've actually learned how the washing machine worked. I didn't know how it worked. So I've actually learned how to wash my clothes, which is probably not a bad thing, gentlemen. <laughs> and I've also realised in that process, the clothesline is way too low for me. I keep hitting my head. My wife was only five foot two. So, but all fun aside, I just want to share with you five things that I've learnt about God. Number one, peace is the ultimate place of victory. Peace is the ultimate place of victory. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 was our favourite scripture. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, God's peace, not your own, God's peace, not man-made peace, not superficial peace, God's peace, which surpasses all of our understanding. There's no logic to it. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Both Sue and I fought anxious thoughts every moment of every day. When you would visit the doctor and the doctor, the nuances in the doctor's responses to questions that you would listen to or that long breath he would take before he answered the question or you listen to the things he doesn't say were more impacting than the things they did say because you're trying to find a glimmer of hope for the future than what lays ahead of you. Anxiety grips your heart. I don't know if you've ever felt this but it's like adrenaline literally takes a hold of your heart and you can't breathe. Your, your beating is just like this incredible surge of, of hurt takes over and there's nothing you can do about it. 
And if you let anxiety have its place, you get more anxious and more anxious and more anxious. In fact, you get anxious about being anxious and you spiral down. That's why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing instead. The word is instead. You've got to replace it. You can't fight it. You've just got to replace it with spiritual warfare of prayer and supplication. Supplication is basically going to God and begging Him for an answer. Being earnest about your prayer. Prayer, supplication, and I can't overemphasize this weapon called thanksgiving. The position of thanksgiving, I, I mean, I could just open up and talk to you about that forever. It is a powerful place. You can't enter the presence of God without thanksgiving. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving. It is powerful because you bring the victories of the past into your present and it gives you faith for the future when you understand the power of thanksgiving. So anxiety is something that physically would grip our heart. That's why we needed to have communion every night because the anxiety of the day was a place that we could come and just lay it at the foot of the cross and get perspective again that it's just about Jesus and what He's done for us and thank God for our salvation and thank God we have a hope beyond this circumstance. says this in John 14, 27, and Pastor Nick sent this out in an email this week. I thought he stole my verse. Peace I leave with you. Underline this next word, my peace. Some people try to get peace elsewhere. No, that's my peace. This is supernatural peace. Jesus' peace, God's peace. That's what he said. He is the, what? Prince of peace. When he says it's my peace, he's actually saying I, me. I will be with you. I will give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It wasn't easy to not be afraid. It guards your heart. The Amplified Version said it places a garrison around your heart. Can you think of the, a garrison, which is the soldiers, they are, they're guarding you, that things that try and come against you, God places them to protect you, even when you don't understand it. It helps you keep your eyes on Him. And I said, it keeps you in victory. So what do I mean by victory? This is my definition that I've learnt. Victory in this life is not based on living a healthy lifestyle or a prosperous one. Victory is simply staying in peace no matter what the circumstances are telling you. Too many people think that a trouble-free life equals God loves me. That's what they think. Well, if that's true, go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, when Paul says, in this life, I've been shipwrecked, whipped, jailed, beaten with rods, kicked out of cities, wrongly accused. That's no trouble-free life. That's just the reality of living for Jesus in that time. So choose, victory is choosing to believe and trust in God in spite of what you see. Victory is not letting the enemy rob you of your peace. Because this is the truth. Peace is attached to your belief. I'll say it again. Peace is attached to your belief. 
and your belief is attached to your salvation. Stay with me. Peace of God is attached to your belief. But if you lose your belief, your salvation is in jeopardy because the very thing that Jesus came to instill in us was belief. Look at this statement. I wish I'd written it, but I haven't. If you don't take anything home today, take this home. If your problem is greater than your belief system, you will have a crisis. And some Christians go from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis because their belief system is not higher than their problem. If your belief system is equal to your problem, you will struggle. And I've got to tell you, I struggled because my belief system was being attacked. I was in faith. God's going to use this. This is going to be a miracle. God's going to use her. However, if your belief system is greater than the problem, you will enter into rest. That's why the cross is so important in your life. So entering into rest is based on your belief. In whom do you put your belief? Hebrews 4 verse 10 and 11 goes on to say, let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of what? Unbelief. So peace is attached to your belief system. And Jesus came that we would believe. In fact, he hated unbelief. And there was times I felt like that that father whose son had, was filled with demons and the, and the disciples couldn't cast the demons out and Jesus come along and he said, will you help me? And he said, do you believe I can do it? And he says, I do, but help my unbelief because I'm stuck between believing and not believing, which is the tear that I felt nearly every day. Jesus, help me to believe. I believe you can do this. It didn't work out the way I thought it would. But I've realised that the fight to enter the rest of God is simply about believing in the character of God above what you see in front of you. So the truth is, the enemy wants to steal your peace, but the ultimate aim of stealing your peace is to get you to the point of unbelief. That's why the Scripture says, strive to enter rest. It's the only place in Scripture that we've got to fight. Ephesians 6 says, after you've done everything, at least do this, stand. And that's sometimes what I had to do, just stand. I didn't have any answers. All I had to do was just stand and say, God, you're God and I'm not. I don't get this, but I believe in the character that you are good. And whatever is going to transpire out of this, only good can come. I don't see it, but I've got to stand. I'm being real with you. Rest is trusting in the love and the character of God over the perceived reality of your circumstance. Can I say that again? Your perceived reality. 
because I was thinking all sorts of things were going to happen. How was this going to work out? I was in a perception mode based on my emotions, not necessarily based on the truth. I was getting ahead of God instead of just standing in rest and peace for that moment. I found out that the place of victory in overcoming my emotions and the war that was against me and my family was just to stand and be at rest. Victory is found at the place of rest. You know, another thing that I found, my preaching came back to haunt me. <laughs> oh, boy, did it. I often used to preach this. God knows, therefore I don't need to. God knows, therefore I don't need to because I just saw us all as control freaks. We're all control freaks. We actually control God too. Because we pray this, God, can you please tell me what's going to happen in my life? What's the future for my life? Young people, where's my wife? Where's my husband? What's my job going to be? And we actually ask God all this. But what we're really saying is, can you tell me so I can tick it off to see if it's okay? And if it's not okay, I'm going to let you know that's not really what I wanted. So who's in control? You or him? True? Because we're control freaks. So I used to preach, God knows, therefore I don't need to. Well, let me tell you, in this situation, I wanted to know. And my preaching came back to haunt me. My revelation of sovereignty came back to haunt me. And there was a few scriptures that I did not like. You think of me being in this situation or you're going through your situation where you just don't know and you're not happy with how it's working out. All about this scripture in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I didn't like that. Of course, as I paraphrase that, I got to the point of saying, it tells me no matter how my thoughts try and understand, no matter the logic I go through, I'm not even going to get close to understanding why this is happening. I'm not even going to get close. My thoughts don't even have the ability to transcend close to what God is thinking. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are His thoughts and His ways higher than mine. So if I even dare to try and work it out, I'm going to fall short. I'm not even remotely going to come close. And some would say that's unfair and that's unjust. And the reason we say that is because we are designed in a cause and effect. We, if something happens, we want to know why because we are brought up in a society that has cause and effect. You get a speeding ticket, why did you get a speeding ticket? Because you're sped and you can resolve that. I was stupid, right? Whether you whip yourself or you, whatever you do, right? The reality is you did it, that's the cause, and this is the effect, you can resolve that. But when a situation like this happens, it's very hard to resolve. You're looking for a reason. I wanna tell you sometimes, there are no answers. And you're not going to find an answer because God's ways are higher than your ways and His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And however you try and work it all out, you're not even going to come close. I tried to and then I opened this scripture, which I really did not like. Isaiah 45, verse 9 and 10. What sorrow? awaits those who argue with their Creator. 
Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it all wrong. Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby says to its father, why was I born? Or said to its mother, why did you make me this way? The clay is in no position to tell the potter what it should look like. And what this did for me was gave me a greater understanding of the sovereignty of God, that he is sovereign despite my prayer and despite even my faith and despite my belief, he is still sovereign. Sovereign, if you want to know what it means, so very reigns. He so very reigns above everything. And he so very reigns above circumstances that are out of your control. But what he's looking for you is to come to the point of where he, his character overrides the outcome. We're singing songs. He is God Almighty. He reigns, he's God Almighty. His omnipotence so verifies the fact that he is God Almighty. But we as Christians, we, do, we actually approach him this way. Instead of God Almighty, we approach him as God Almighty. And we try to bring him down to our level of what we, we require and treat him as a genie to do our bidding. And then we get angry at him when it doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out. Instead of realising he is God Almighty, he is so very reigns above every circumstance and you are the clay and he is the potter. Your thoughts are not even gonna get close to his thoughts. Your ways are not his ways. And when are you gonna learn that you are subservient to the King who gave everything for you to come and die for you he loves you that much and that love should be enough. Not easy to swallow, especially in our cancel culture Western civilization, where we've all got to have a right. Well, when we invited Jesus into our life, we lost that. But I'll tell you something, the fact that he does reign over my life and he has everything in place and the hairs on my head are numbered. I've got more than Pastor Nick. <laughs> and everything, everything about me, God knows the finer details is enough for me to rest in the grace that is sufficient for me. Paul prayed and prayed and prayed for him to be healed. I don't know whether he had a thorn in his side. I don't know if it was his mother-in-law or whatever. But anyway, he had a thorn in his side and he prayed and prayed and prayed and it never got healed. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. This is going a little bit different than the earlier service. I apologise. Point number three, and I've only got four minutes left. <laughs> I've never been more grateful for the church. I don't know how people walk this journey without Jesus. I don't know how people walk this journey without God in their life. It's one thing to know Jesus personally, but it's another thing to know the manifest power of the Jesus in people in his church here on earth. 
I've always been a lover of the church. I've given to the church. I've worked for the church. And I, my family do the same, but I've never felt the power and love of the church in a moment like this like I've ever felt before. And I don't know how people can take pot shots at the church about her brokenness and, her, and she, they didn't do this for me. And Well, welcome to humanity. Stay long enough in this church. You're going to get hurt. You will, because we're all broken, right? There's going to be some preaching you don't enjoy. There's some preachers you don't enjoy. I don't either, especially mine sometimes. It's going to happen. But how can I take pot shots at something that Jesus loved and gave his life for and left that that would be his manifest body here on earth to take the, the gospel to the nations? Can I just say, make a decision to love the church. Make a decision to be the church. And I'll leave this with you. You never know when you're going to need her. You never know. I'll be really quick. Point number four. Someone can come on the keys. God is always working for my good. We know this. Romans 8, 28. Oh boy, I have preached the sucker out of this verse. I could literally, I've gone through every word and taught what it is and da 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 and how it means. But I tell you, when you walk through a situation like this, it becomes alive. And often this, this, this verse has been used as a band aid verse. Don't worry, sister. All things work together for good to those that love God. Right? And what we do is we put our version of good on there instead of realizing what version of good are we doing. Is it my version of good or God's version of good? Which version of good are we prepared to accept? Because the true, the true <laughs> response or the, the true power of this verse lives in the first phrase. And we know that God causes all things. Not all things are going to be good. God causes them to be good if you're prepared to trust in his character not trust sometimes in his ways. God causes all things. Are you serious? My wife died, God. How can that be good? How can that be good? Can I be honest with you? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. But there's a verse in Philippians 1 verse 6, it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he began it and he's going to perfect it. And here's our, my problem. I want the perfecting now. I want the perfecting now. I want, I want to know how it's all going to end. Instead of realising in Romans 8, 28, he says, he's working all things together for good. Here's the problem. We want the working to happen in our time span instead of realising that God is working on our behalf. I it was our favourite song. He's, he's working when I'm asleep. He's working behind me, around me. What's the name of that song, Marcus? It's always working. Yeah, I caught you out. You weren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> he's always working, right? The thing is, but I want it in my time. And I put my hands on the working. We've got to be happy 
that He will perfect it in His time and He will use every circumstance, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sweet. He will use every circumstance, everything, all circumstances to work it out for His version of good. And maybe, and I don't have an answer, I don't know why my wife had to die. We were just ready to roll. All the kids had left home. We're ready to go. I don't know why. But I do know this. Good is going to come out of it. And it's not going to be, oh, I'm all happy now. No, I'm still going through the grief and go through the difficult times and the bad days and the sad days. But in the same way, if I let God do the working, it's going to work out for His good. Why? Because He is good. His character is good. And this is what, as I was preparing this last night, I felt the Holy Spirit say, there's people here right now that you are frustrated with the working. You're getting frustrated at God. You're getting frustrated at yourself. And here's another one. You're getting frustrated at the church that they're not jumping in to help you with your working out. You don't understand it and that's okay. But are you prepared to let Him be sovereign and realise His character is more important and the working out of these things in your life is more important because ultimately we are to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, not to become millionaires. The goal of you being a Christian is to be transformed, to be like Jesus. And whatever it takes for that transformation to happen, God will use. There's some of you here this morning that you're right in the middle. And don't get frustrated in the middle. Let God perfect it and get your hands off it. I felt the Holy Spirit say there's people here this morning and, if, and you know, I need to stop the meeting right now and pray for you. If that's you, you're right in the middle. There was a whole lot of people in the first service. I want you to stand right now. I'm going to pray for you. You're in the middle. You're frustrated. It's not working out how you think it should. There's more people. I'm just going to wait. Come on. There's more people. You need to stand. You're right. Anyone else? Okay, this is what I want you to do. Church, family, have a look. There's people standing around you. I want you to go and stand with them. I want you to go and stand with them. I want you to put your hand on their shoulder. And I want you to pray. This is not a feelings moment. This is a decision moment. This is a belief moment. I'm choosing to put my belief in God above my circumstance. I'm choosing to take my eyes off the circumstance and put my eyes on His goodness. So in Jesus' name, I pray for every person that has stood. I pray, Holy Spirit, that You will just work with them through their difficulty, through their pain, through their disappointment, through their grief, through their struggle. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will help them lift their eyes and make a decision this morning to 
release you into the perfecting of their faith, to release you into the workings of this out, that it's not their outcome, but your will be done as it is in heaven. So Holy Spirit, I pray for a resolve of decision to be made in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to finish in a moment. So is this okay, Nick? You know, you can eat a cake two ways. You know, you can eat a cake two ways. And this is how I found God actually helps us. God usually gets us to eat cake. So you can eat a cake when it's finished, baked out of the oven, or you can eat a cake one ingredient at a time. And I found, as Christians, we usually eat the cake one ingredient at a time. We do have our sugar days. They're awesome. But we also have our flour days. What's that? And you have your bicarb of soda days where you feel like spitting everything out. But he has the ability to take all of those days put him in the oven of his anointing and mix it all together. Of course, out of it, he makes beauty from ashes. The oil of joy comes out of it if you're prepared to let him have it. Here's my last point. Sorry. My last point is, is eternity is closer than you think. I grew up in the days of hellfire and brimstone preachers. If you died tonight, where would you go? If you got hit by a bus tonight, where would you go? Heaven or hell? I'm never allowed to go to the movies because if you went to the movies and Jesus come, you're going to hell. <laughs> Who remembers those days? First time I went to the movies, I was scared stiff. Jesus, don't come, don't come. I just want to watch the movie. I remember getting saved every Sunday night, like. Although it's true, <laughs> I thank God for the days of His grace and His kindness that, that leads us to repentance, right? His kindness draws us. But this is where it gets really real. The last five hours of Sue's life, we were called in. She was really awake. She was talking to us. She had an internal bleed that couldn't be stopped. Her heart was racing at 150 beats a minute for, for 24 hours. She got on, this is, this is show the depth of my wife. She got on FaceTime to her sister who, who used to walk with God but wasn't walking with God and said, Anna, you better be with me in heaven. She got on the FaceTime to her mum who turns 102 in March and thanked her. She rang her FaceTime to her best friend that she was friends with since she was six and just thanked her for her friendship. We told her how much we loved her and all the kids and the grandkids were around her and then she was in and out of consciousness and see her heart was racing and then it came a time when her heart just started to drop. And she, was she was asleep or unconscious at the time and she was laboring in her breath. And we, my three daughters and myself, literally 
laid our hands on her. I remember laying my hands on her chest and thanking Jesus for my wife, thanking her that she was a wonderful mum. She was a great, she was an incredible woman of God. She, she covered our family in prayer that she, she was such a great example to our daughters and she was taking her last breath. It went from 150 beats a minute going right down. I remember it getting to 20 beats a minute and her taking her last breath. It was, it was painful. It was gut-wrenching. Watching, watching your wife of 37 years go from here to another place. Worship was on and we were praying. And I've got to tell you this, and this is my final point. Eternity is closer than you think. Eternity is not out there. Heaven's not up there, out there. It's right here. I saw her go from taking her last breath from now into the hands of Jesus, where her body lay limp and she was gone. But the beauty and the power in that room was like God Himself was there because someone who'd loved Him and followed Him, the presence of God was so thick. It was beautiful, yet so hard. And I watched my wife walk from her body to be with Jesus. And I felt like I could tangibly reach out and just touch the presence of God. It was so thick. It was so beautiful, so peaceful. And I just got a glimpse of, I don't know how people do this without Jesus. I just want to tell you, eternity is one breath away. You might have your life all planned out for you, but let me tell you, eternity is one breath away. By the grace of God, you take your next breath. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. By the grace of God, we take our next breath. And I want to say to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you can. If you don't don't know that peace that we felt in that room and that peace of your salvation, you can. It's so simple and so profound. The simplicity of Romans 10 says, if you invite Jesus into your life, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Eternity will be written on your heart. If you don't know Jesus, I would love the opportunity just to say a prayer with you. Because if you really believe in your heart that He is real and He loves you and He came to die for you and gave His life for you so that you would have eternal life, if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. You don't have to do it here. You can do it at home. You can do it in the car on the way home. It's not like it belongs in a meeting. It's personal. But we take the opportunity here to do this today. So I'm going to ask all eyes to be closed, heads to be bowed. I just want to lead us in a prayer. Dear Jesus, say this, we'll say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to this world, dying for me, loving me so much to give your life for me. I confess my need of you. I ask you to come into my life to be my Saviour, to be my guide, to be my friend,
to be my Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Could just ask all heads to remain bowed, eyes closed. If you said that for the first time, or you know you needed to say that, and you haven't said that for a heck of a long time, I'm just gonna ask you quickly just to raise your hand at the count of three, because we wanna give you some information that's gonna help you on your journey. We wanna take you into knowing Jesus and understanding His power and His love for you. So if you said that this morning, just at the count of three, one, two, three, quickly just raise your hand. There's one in here this morning. Eternity is closer than you think. God loves you. He's there for you. Anyone this morning, just raise your hand. Okay. Church, the story doesn't end there. And I'm going to hand over to Pastor Nick. This is where it, it is up to right now. Little Olive Sue came home from hospital. In November, she was in there from June to November, and this is her. <laughs> Wait for it. There you go. I look at this every day. Every day. Lots of scriptures like the joy of the Lord is your strength. I get joy from that because I've seen what God's done in my life and done in my family's life. God bless you.